Welcome to the Farm of the Future podcast. Brought to you by RAISE in association with Innovation for Agriculture, this podcast explores how farm businesses can prepare for and adapt to current and upcoming challenges affecting agriculture. For each episode, we'll look into a different technology or approach available to farm businesses. We'll delve into everything from decarbonisation solutions to increasing farm biodiversity, always considering the impact on farm businesses, the people working on farm, as well as also the benefits to food production and the environment. I'm Natasha Smith, and today I'm joined by Aaron Redman, Soils and Natural Resources Advisor at Innovation for Agriculture. For this episode, we'll be speaking to Martin Lines, the CEO from the Nature Friendly Farming Network. In June this year, the Nature Friendly Farming Network launched a report in conjunction with the Wildlife Trusts and Nethergill Associates, which is titled Farming at the Sweet Spot, How Farming with Nature Can Make You Happier, Healthier and Wealthier. The report includes a lot about farming at the maximum sustainable output, and today we'll be discussing how this concept can be used to increase the resilience and profitability of farm businesses. Aaron, before we delve into everything with Martin, uh, farming for profit is pretty self-explanatory, but what's your take on what uh, farming for resilience actually means? Yeah, so farming for resilience is basically farming in a way to promote the crop and the cropping system to be able to buffer and absorb and to deal with environmental changes, disturbances and anything that could potentially um, hinder the crop's ability to grow. So in an arable cropping system, for example, um, farming with resilience could mean that um, could be to promote soil health to encourage soil organic matter so that the soil structure and its relationship with the crop has the ability to buffer droughts and water saturation for example or it could be to grow your desired crop with a companion crop to help um mine for nutrients and to deal with potential future nutrient deficit um in terms of today uh, and what martin's going to speak about is all about promoting the resilience so that you can cut down inputs so this is generally increasing the cropping system's health and its ability to deal with and produce the same yield but with a reduced uh, input from uh, synthetics fertilizers to cut down on fuel usage so that you don't have to do so many passes and therein their entail will save the farmer um, economically and increase their margins and basically cut costs. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's many different ways that you can explain farming for resilience. There's many different examples of how you can do it on farm, um, but that's just a, a quick snippet. Yeah, and I guess um, it's getting it's just increasingly relevant in a way with the, you know the way things are changing with climate and just weather becoming just more and more unpredictable. You get dry summers, you get wet summers, you get like floods over the winter and you just don't know what you're going to get in any given year so I guess this having these conversations about building resilience in your farm is um is just becoming increasingly relevant um and I'm definitely looking forward to hearing what Martin's got to say yeah definitely I mean I think last year we saw you know huge huge drought record temperatures um you know resilient farms were the farms that had the ability um, of water retention to which meant that the their crops had the access to water well into summer um, this year we saw a, a, a nice dry spell at the beginning um, which you know promoted ripening but then a huge wet period between June and July and into August uh, and and that basically promoted potential pathogen pressures and and especially the the pressure from from um from fungi um infections and fungi pathogens so yeah again resilient farms were the farms that had that ability to uh to to grow a mixture of crops that were 
more resilient and and could hold off the pressure from from fungi and uh, associated pathogens um so yeah i, I mean i think martin's going to explain uh, a variety of different systems that will will promote resilience and and economic uh, benefits as well so yeah it's it's going to be exciting Hi, Martin. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you much and thanks for the opportunity. Brilliant. Um, just before we get stuck into kind of the things about like maximum sustainable output, um, I was wondering if you could uh, kind of introduce yourself briefly and also perhaps tell us a little bit about your farm and sort of your farm management system um, as it is at the moment. Yeah, um, I'll start with Iron Farm. We're a predominantly arable farm based in Cambridgeshire on the heavy clays growing mainly combinable crops. We've been doing a lot of habitat stuff in the past and still do, but we're also looking at how do we stack enterprises and move to a more regenerative focus on soil health and biodiversity outcomes to make our business more resilient and future-proof and hopefully more financially better. And then on the network side, um, I'm, I'm now the chief exec of the Nature Friendly Farming Network. The network was launched in January 18. Um, I was the chair of the board, and as the network's grown, the roles and responsibilities have grown. And now I, I'm, I'm the chief exec, and we operate right across the UK, supporting farmers having a voice. So we came across the the report that you, uh, Nature Family Farmers, was involved in uh, writing along with Wildlife Trusts and uh, Nevergill Associates um, about the maximum sustainable output and um, how sort of farming... It, with that concept can be a bit of a I think the report title is actually sort of this farming at the sweet spot isn't it um can you share a little bit about kind of the concept of that it's a great report and it sort of builds on our previous report of nature means business and it, it's the data and, and all that we have available clearly shows that farming in the capacity of the landscape is the most profitable um so in, it's, it's that maximum sustainable output the MSO um and it's sort of dem all the uh, mathematics and all the business uh, information we have that farming within that capacity of your grassland, your soil health, where you minimize it, uh, artificial inputs coming in, so you're buying inputs in, makes you more profitable. And that might mean your output reduces slightly, but your profit margin increases quite a lot. And that and there's a sort of the report clearly shows it within different farming sectors and landscapes how that can how that works for farming and how it works for the environment and for nature and for carbon solutions. And, and it's a really, a, a really good report and I encourage people to read it. I uh, did take the liberty to read the report this morning. Um, and I do think it's an absolutely fantastic report, Martin. Um, you guys have done an absolutely brilliant job. Uh, I think the report has a, a brilliant balance between specific farm case studies and then also a general UK overview. Can you just explain a little bit more about the concept of the sustain maximal sustainable output and what is meant by the farming at the sweet spot and specifically the sp sweet spot of it? I'll do it in reverse. Moment. So the sweet spot is the best place for your business in your landscape in, in where you are. And that does move. Um, and we've seen by the farmers who have been working on it a, a number of years, their output and profitability is actually increasing. They're, they're, they're bringing more livestock as the resilience becomes into their system. So I'll start on an arable system. If I'm buying in lots of pesticides, fertilizers, other inputs, that's a cost to the production. If, if I can farm in a way that improves soil quality, soil health, nutritional uh, buildup within the soil through clovers, cover crops, manures, that nature gives free resource to farmers through rain, sunshine, energy. And farming is, is involved in converting sunlight energy into food or into, into an energy product, which is food, or other products that landscape delivers. So the, the model is, is, is to try and focus on natural systems that build fertility into your soil, build, helps prop up or support not a pop up, how it supports your production system. So many of our, you know, 
have high fixed costs, high capital costs. And if you can reduce your overheads uh, down, so you're reducing your hours on tractors, leading less machinery because you're not moving huge quantities of soil, um, that all has added benefits and reduces the basically writing of checks to prop up a production system. And if you looked on the livestock side, it's about focusing around which grass grasses you're growing and do they need feeding with fertilizer and a fungicide to keep the disease away? Or is there more rich uh, grass uh, sward you can produce with more herbal herbs in and clovers and legumes that build fertility up into your soil that is actually free because nature gives you that free, but it does take a period of time to build that resilience up. And what we've seen is many, uh, particularly livestock farmers, particularly up on the hill, reduce stocking numbers for a period and, in, and and the profitability increases because they're not now buying in artificial, you know, concentrates and feed and more hay and straw. The resilience within their grass fields become better. So they're actually producing more grass after a period of time of you know, reducing compact, uh, reducing production a little bit. And then you may also want to, you know, many have introduced cattle instead of just sheep and had a more diverse bite from the grass. So they've reduced their vet and med builds, they've reduced their um, concentrate purchases. And then as the grass has got into a better structure, using nature as the product, you know, support system that increases production, they've actually been able to increase livestock units per hectare because the grass is recovering quicker. You manage it in a way that actually uses that natural sunshine and rain that supports the system. So it's always about reducing costs, reducing overheads, and really using the natural cycle of nature um, in, in helping you produce a, a better crop and a better yield, which then ultimately improves profitability. We've seen many livestock farmers reduce uh, stock numbers by 20, 30, even 50% for some of them. And that has increased their profitability because they've freed up a, a shed that they no longer need to keep animals in because they're on the hill more often so they can do a bed and breakfast. And you can look at other opportunities that can generate income from your landscape. And it's not about not producing, but it's about producing with the least amount of brought in resource and balancing in that and it's not saying don't buy it in but it's about minimizing what you need to do to make you you know every check you write out that's money out the door if if this if nature can give it to you free let's harness it and farming is the only industry or one of the very few industries that gets free resource from from nature you know we get rain sunshine hopefully soil and healthy soil um and if we utilize it it actually underpins and increases our productivity and profitability if we work against it, it only adds costs. It's a lower intervention system. So that frees up time yeah. and you're allowing the system to kind of take its own role in that. Yeah. And and when you get to that sweet spot and, and for every business, it's, it's different and there will be a, a transition period while you unlock some of the fixed costs you've you've embedded into your system. Um, you, you know, nature's at its best because you're probably harming the landscape. Less, there's less bare soil that you know you're not overgrazing so nature is getting a benefit carbon will be getting a benefit um public goods and food there's a lot of evidence starting to come through some of the food products are better because they've had less artificial intervention fed into them so it's it's it but it's not a point that this is a calculation that this is where you are today and that's where you'll always be it evolves and it changes and it's about meeting the challenges of climate as it changes around you and building your business model around it rather than just trying to focus on, on, on one model and just keep going regardless of the changing nature around you. A lot of the regenerative advice suggests that when you're transitioning into a regenerative system, it can take between four to six to even 10 years to really for the system to kind of naturally uh, transition to work with fertilizer replacements or not using any fertilizer whatsoever do you find it's the same with mso uh, before you can get that sweet spot is, is the transition time normally about between four and ten years it, it all depends on where you're starting from and your position yeah. at the beginning for some businesses it, it will take longer because the opportunity to 
change and weather patterns and investment programs, it, it you know takes time. If you're moving from one production output to multiple, you've got to invest or to change that focus. So quite often that transition is three to five plus years, um, but it's about doing it in a structured, planned way that isn't adding additional stress to your business and to your mental health and your own you know, pers- personal time and look, recognizing the rewards that you can get by building that business model in, in going forward. And for some, it may be 10 years, but it, it never stops because it is really regenerative farming and the maximum sustainable output is a journey and it's always focusing about the outcomes and harnessing free resource that uh, farmers are lucky enough to receive. Yeah. On the sort of longer term systems that you've you've visited yourself or maybe your, your own farm where you've been kind of running along these principles for a longer period of time do you find how do you find the 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 um, output at the ends like the quality of the grains the yields uh, do they sometimes become better than they were before on a kind of intensive system we haven't got scientific proof it's better currently but there is a mm-hmm. lot of research going into the food quality the, the quality of the food that's produced from different farming systems and around the healthier soil and ecosystems that is the grain better it certainly looks better, tastes a lot better. Some of the some of the products we get to, to get to eat, whether that's just because I think it's better, but there, there is growing evidence that it is more nutritious. It's more uh, has more trace elements and vitamins and minerals and all the other things that we need. And for my own business, we've managed to see uh, a huge reduction in fossil fuel based fertilizer. Last year, half our winter wheat we grew on the farm. We didn't need artificial fertilizer yet I still maintained significantly good yields. But it's about harnessing, as you build that fertility up in, into the soil or into your grass, knowing the cycle of depletion as, as you farm it, you're taking something away and how do you build it back in um, and how what uh, ingredients you put into your landscape. So is that a different grass sward? Is it some manures? Is it uh, you know, uh, introducing for an arable farmer some some cover crops and adding some sheep or some cattle in to build the biology and and the fertility into the soil. Going back to the report itself, uh, I noticed that it was the data was gathered by Nethergill Associates. So, um, where did the the information actually come from? How how was the report designed in, on a data aspect? So, Chris from Nethergill has Chris Clark has been working uh, on on this business model uh, and the mathematics that become behind it uh, for a number of years now. And I think it's over two hundred farms that data set was built into that report. Um, and it's about farmers who have been doing it a, a number of years and have seen the benefits, and those that he's looked at the last few years about where are they, where 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 are they going, and where they could be. And and really, it's about helping farmers see a farming system that particularly as we see an area-based payment structure go away, um, see profitability in managing the landscape um, and and within a a business structure. So the the evidence is coming from the data collected on farms and being fed into the system that shows that the the MSO, the maximum sustainable output business model is the most profitable farming system you can have uh, and it's concentrating on those returns. What what level of um, like increase in commercial gains um, has sort of been found over that time when that data was taken? Has, have you got any sort of um, yeah sort of stats or data on how how much farmers have been able to sort of increase their profitability? Uh, not as individual businesses, but there's a number of case studies that were that were going from a loss making business spending up to 90 hours a week looking after livestock to a, a very profitable business only using only needing to spend less than 30 hours a week looking after those livestock. In in number of the case studies, it's freed up sheds because you haven't got so many poorly animals because you're trying to produce, push production, so you're having to keep them some of them inside. So those sheds and barns have been converted into holiday lets and other you know, income opportunities. Um, but on all the business, all the models that they've been through, all the businesses have improved their profitability. And it all depends on, are you an upland farmer? Are you, you know, an arable farmer in the east? Are you a dairy farmer? But for a number of the dairy farms, their increased lactation 
cycles, two to three years per, per life per, per dairy unit. Where, so they're actually getting more value out of a, of a dairy cow for a longer period of time using and spending less money on better meds and keeping that, you know, that cow going for longer. So profitability is different on every single business. Yeah. Um, and I guess what you said there about the um, almost having that time and space, um, I think it was in relation to livestock numbers dropping and having more time and space to be able to just have that headspace, I guess, and to be able to diversify and look for the other the income streams as well. As we look forward, you know, many farmers are struggling to find the labour resource to do the same old things they've always done. Majority of you know, a huge number of farmers are working extremely long hours, seven days a week, and actually getting mental health issues, physical health issues, and resilience issues. Um, and coming, and we really need to value our time and our mm. and our inputs, and, and not just tractors and 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 food and fuel, you know, concentrates and fuel and fertilizer. It's our time, and and for our own family businesses and our families, and 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 come to a place that actually means we do less but earn more and value our time we get to spend with our families and do other activities that you may want to generate other income streams from because you've freed up that opportunity yeah yeah i couldn't agree with you more there i think uh when when farms are getting squeezed as they are at the moment i think the biggest implication is from mental health and and the stress that's put on those farmers very much so i mean as an industry at the current time it is really hard. We are being challenged by weather patterns, and we can see that the last few years of too wet, too dry, too hot, too cold, everything's been thrown at us at the wrong time in the wrong period of whatever the season's doing. We're seeing in England the area-based payments being withdrawn, uh, and that will get taken away on the current programme and have an action-based reward for environmental delivery. That becomes slightly more complicated because rather than getting one cheque for one outcome of an area base, you're going to have to deliver a range of outcomes from hedge management, soil management, biodiversity improvements. And so they're all doing a need headspace to understand. We're also seeing many of the supply chains focus around how their carbon footprint can be affected by the farming activity and a, and a push and a focus towards regenerative systems. And we're seeing many uh, voices externally of, of agriculture wanting farming to do different things, whether that's stop producing meat or rewild the landscape or do this or do that. It is really challenging. But we have to understand much of the current farming system is causing harm uh, to, the, to the countryside. It is having impacts to biodiversity, to water quality, to soil health. And if we move to a maximum sustainable output model, much more, almost all of the harms get, get stopped uh, and, and reduced. But we have a managed landscape. This landscape has been, most of the UK has been farmed for a long time. And it's about how we do that management and which outcomes we can get rewarded for to keep farmers, businesses working in rural communities and keeping active farmers working and receiving rewards from funding and business opportunities to keep that rural community going. Going back to your farm, the what does... What does maximize what does the maximize sustainable outcome mean for management decisions on your home farm in Cambridge? So we've looked at the business. Uh, the business model wasn't great. We we're buying a lot of input in 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 challenging market circumstances, challenging outputs. So over the last few years, we've hugely reduced our horsepower need, uh, reduced the labor need, and actually means I can pay the staff better and they have to work less overtime. Um, so that's a better work-life balance. We've we produce a more of a range of outputs where we were just mainly winter cereals. We have winter and spring and uh, more different crops. We've uh, added cover crops in. So I've worked with a local shepherd who's building up his business to bring sheep in to get reward for grazing the cover crops. And those sheep add fertility and biology to my soil. I bring manures in where I have opportunity to, to build resilience up into the soil. So we've managed to hugely reduce our costs, maintain output, and for some things actually increase yields. But I'm also bringing in revenue streams for stewardship, biodiversity credit, you know, other things that we can bring into the landscape that stack and build resilience. So having cover crops in have added 
in last year's data, up to 220 kilos of nitrogen we had locked up in our soil from cover crops and manures and, and a change of approach. This year, because we had a really dry winter, we, only, we didn't have very good cover crops. We only had 120 to 130 kilos of fertilizer locked up in my soil. So we know that that cover crop and that system is, is building resilience. And it, for me, it's about how do I uh, benchmark it, understand it, what data and resource do I bring in to give me the confidence to carry on this journey? And then for me, that was nitrogen testing the soil, biomass imagery, uh, lab testing of nutrients and traceabilities within crops. So it stops me buying fertilizer, but I may have needed a trace element instead. That's what the crop needed. So it's it's trying to use data and tech without spending loads of money on it, but to give me the, the data I need to build a resilient business without buying lots of inputted uh, fertilizer, chemical, diesel. Yeah, it, it, it is transitioned our business, I believe, into a lot more resilient and profitable position. And it's not a it's not done. We've got a lot more to do and there'll be more uh, changes to, to build in over the next few years as it, as we free up capital, as we free up opportunities um, and, and stop writing checks to, to, you know, we're buying yield. We're writing checks to buy yield. And if I can reduce that, then more profits staying in my pocket rather than my supply chain uh, profited. Yeah. Sounds like you have, um, you have to keep quite a dynamic system. So when, when you're looking at fertilizer replacements and nutrients coming from alternative areas, does this mean how do you keep on top of the numbers? Do you do annual soil sampling um, when you don't have a, a successful cover crop yield over winter? Do you, do you then have to kind of supplement by buying in organic fertilizers or, or something like that? Or, you know, how, how do you deal with the dynamics of it? Because it fluctuates on a yearly basis. It, it, it is collecting data. Uh, we know what our yield maps are. We do we do soil nutrient maps, but we know which are we've, we've got a good understanding of which are good fields and bad fields and where they are within their rotation. Um, so we don't need to sample every single field. I can pick out a, a range of half a dozen fields that will give me a data set to give me an understanding of what's going on, and then you can work from that. And if we haven't planted a crop and we have some data, we may adjust what we do. Uh, we may change the yield expectation or we know that we'll need to buy some nutrients in because there's not enough there. Where Where's the best resource and the availability of the product and the cheapest uh, to put in? But quite often, if we're reducing our fertilizer use, we're reducing the tractor hours on the, on the tractor. We're reducing the man hours. We're reducing the wear and tear on a piece of machinery. And I may get to the position with I am getting there with a number of uh, things we do, do I need to have all that capital cost sat there for the limited hours we use it? I may get better, it may be better uh, financially to bring a contractor in just for the you know, few hours a season that I need to do that job. And we need to look at each individual uh, capital expenditure is, are we getting the best return? Is there a cheaper way of doing it? And as we see machinery price continue to go up, that capital replacement cost is becoming increasingly challenging when you're decreasing the amount you need to use it you know we all we all have good fields and bad fields so are you finding that your bad fields are over time becoming better very much so um we've gone they hold more water they filtrate more water through when it rains hard we've carbon mapped every single field and we've zoned the fields and we've become increasingly aware that particularly last summer when it was so hot and dry the, through the biomass imagery from the satellites showed the parts of the field that were struggling completely linked to, to the areas of the field had low organic matter. So I'm now focused on how do I bring compost and organic material in to lift those levels of the field up. I don't have to do the whole field, but that will bring that up and build resilience, in, more resilience into that part of the field, which will increase my yield because the average will go up. And then we can, so it is using that data and tech to, build resilience into our into our system um, and, and meet that climate change that's here. And you know, we are seeing such effects of not just the climate, but also energy costs. You know, last year, fertilizer went from 250 to nearly a thousand pounds a ton. Because we've adapted our business and, and focused around free issue of nature and soil health, we didn't need to buy that fertilizer. So a significant saving. 
and and then as the market price of the commodity we're selling has come down, I haven't had to spend so much growing the crop. So I've got an additional benefit of not having the stress within the business trying to meet the trying to cash flow all that challenging changes. Going, going away from the economic side of of uh, MSO, how how do you find the environmental benefits? See, you know, especially I guess on on your home farm where you spend more time, like. Uh, how does the management strategy change? Do you see more birds? Do you see more bees? Do you, you know? So on our own farm, we've been having a number of welcomed people in to do trials. We have had an, uh, one of the trials was for brutally beetle damage in spring beans. We had significantly less bean damage and we don't use insecticides. I don't need them because we have a, a healthier ecosystem on farm than other farms who occasionally or regularly use insecticides. And then when they come to sell their beans, they had more infestation in the beans than we had. And that's directly correlated to the biodiversity we had on the farm from the habitats we were delivering. We had two thirds beneficiaries or things that ate the pests compared with the other farms that had two thirds pests and a third beneficiary. The, the swing of nature was on my side. And we've seen the same uh, for biodiversity recording. We used to just do some habitat around the outsides on some of our large, larger fields, that's a long way for the ladybird to come into the middle. And the data that was recorded on a number of trials that having habitat within 100-ish metres was a real benefit. So if you have small fields, it's edges and hedges or, or the ditch bank, make that have a, a resource. And it's bigger fields, putting it in the middle. And the data that has been came out of the trial, there was an 18% net yield benefit by having the habitat within approximately 100 metres. So all of our fields now, our biggest machine is 30 metres, are subdivided with six metre margins, either every 90 or 120 metres. So we have habitat around the outside in the awkward corners. We put the habitat in the middle. We've increased productivity because there's no overlaps, no faff, uh, all that awkward shapes. Yes, some fields, it doesn't all fit in because it's just the shape of the field, but we've tried to maximise the output, but also maximise nature. We are seeing more bird life. We are seeing more pollinators and butterflies, um, more worms in our soil. The landscapes are coming alive, and then I, I welcome in people to come and count that because I haven't got time or the knowledge to understand what that biodiversity is, and it gives us a better baseline. But I need to understand which which of the good stuff and what's the bad stuff. I know how to grow a good crop of wheat and manage it well, but I need the data to understand which habitats do I need to manage well to get the best outputs for the stuff I want from that habitat that's going to improve my productivity or you know or my pest control within the landscape. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think uh, have you do you also do strips of uh, so do you do you strip sorry do you put strips of kind of uh, whether that's uh, wild bird feed or or pollination seed mixes through throughout your field as well as just putting it in the middle yeah so it's throughout so it's every every 90 meters or 120 there's a six meter flower margin um with our flower margins i put one meter tuscany grass either side four meters of flowers down the center the flowers get cut and removed the end of the season leaving the tuscany grass there as an as a, ha- a resource over winter as a habit um somewhere to hibernate um so they don't connect to the headland, so you have a working headland going around for your machine, and then you've got all these strips going up and down the fields. Um, and where we have smaller fields, we just do the edges. Um, we don't need to put a strip into the middle. And it, we use that measurement because it fits with our system. And I know many other farmers, it might be slightly different because of the machinery setup they have. Do you think this um, improves the experience of your farming? Because obviously you have you know, this kind of beautiful side of farming as well as the kind of, um, the so you have the natural kind of neighbour and uh, does this improve the experience that you have on farm? I, I, it's improving our efficiency and the, and the productivity side, but it's also the visual side and, and the comments by the, by the public who contribute to our farming system by with their taxpayers paying me for delivering outcomes, but they're also buying my my product produce, whether that's the food I produce or other things. So if we want public to support farming, if we can do the right things in the right place and, and, and balance it, we have a real positive message to communicate to the consumers, which is us, all of us that buy food. 
and, and around how the actions that we take on farmland delivers a really beautiful landscape that people want to enjoy. And, and then also it connects you know, that opportunity. And we've got to tug at the hearts and mind of people, not just fill their stomachs. And there's that opportunity for farmers to work in a, a maximum sustainable output business model that joins all that together uh, and stacks enterprises, stacks heritage, beauty, output, business, all of it in, in a positive way. Just thinking, Martin, um, from the perspective of like someone who perhaps, um, well, you've been doing this for quite a while in terms of thinking about how you um, how you farm and sort of identifying where you can save costs and where you can bring in more biodiversity and how it can help. Um, for someone who's a bit sort of newer to that journey, like, do you have any sort of advice on like how to identify where to start? It is uh collect some data what are so yeah. if, for an owl farmer what are your have you got a yield monitor on your combine where are the least productive areas on your field can you change the management to improve that and then if you can't accept that that area will only ever do six ton a hectare um not the 10 ton that you're hoping for build your business model around that and also can i get a different reward growing some flowers or something else that pays more than that and, and sort of, if you're buying lots of fertilizer in, how do you build a business model around that reduction? So you're going to have to build some fertility in. So you're going to have to put some legume fallows in, um, bring in some manure, some compost, something else, and build the resilience up. Also, you've just, you know, we're all in, a, every business is different. Um, and it's looking at those overheads and capital costs and, and what percentage of your turnover they are. Uh, and, and and so definitely reach out to Nethergill and Chris and, and, and look at doing a, an MSO model. We know farming is changing. We know farming is going to have to deliver uh, for, for carbon, for biodiversity, for food production, food security. How does your business tick off all of those rather than just concentrate on one output? And the more diversity you can have within your system, the more resilient you'll become. So it's about looking at your business of what else can I do on my landscape and am I buying in but, but, uh, inputs to uh, and basically buying yield? Are you buying in more concentrate to get more livestock out the unit out and, and the cost ratio of that um, isn't, and, and same as for fertilizer, it doesn't always stack up. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking, you, met, um, you mentioned uh, food security there. Is there... If everybody was to reduce their outputs in favour of biodiversity, is there a bit of a concern there in terms of the amount of food available or or not? From my view, absolutely not at all. The majority of what we produce as farmers isn't food. Um, so we're producing crops that get fed to livestock. Well, if those livestock could get better food from their grass, you wouldn't need that, that ton of grain going to concentrate. We are using large areas of our land for anaerobic digestion, for uh, bioethanol plants, for other stuff. We, there's lots of reports and data out there. We have two and a half times our, our productive land to feed the nation, a, a growing or the, the pop world population. We just need to focus around what is food and what do we need to produce. And there's many items of food we are not producing enough of. We import stuff that we could be producing. And that could be business opportunities for farmers in the future, some salads, vegetables and other products. And that's where food security should be focused on in supporting you know, making sure there's access to market for those products. The, the argument that you can't do nature, you've got to do food is, is, is completely rubbish, in my view. Um, we need to find a balance and we need to have a, a, a farming system that isn't just sustainable because we can't sustain a depleted landscape for soil and for biodiversity. It needs to be rejuvenating, re-energizing and, and a regenerative system. So it's how do we be, make a farming model that does that and maximum sustainable output, the MSO does that and it makes the farm business far more resilient. Um, and we just need to, what, you know, 40, you know, there's some clear stats, 62% of the grain we produce in the UK goes to feed livestock. We throw away 40% of the food. If we have a concern around food security, let's concentrate on the easy wins of not so much waste and maybe putting many of those livestock 
out of the sheds, back on the grass, back in the landscape, to build fertility, particularly on arable systems that need to move away from fossil fuel-based inputs. We need to fertilise better out the bum than out the bag. We need to move that manure from livestock or from ourselves back into our landscape to produce food. Closing the loop, really. And... Yeah. Okay. And then um, just to finish, um, what is kind of your perception of what the direction of travel is going to be like how what's going to sort of direct the changes happening on farm moving moving forwards so government have got some pretty ambitious targets for halting nature decline by 2030 delivering clean reductions in air pollution and water quality issues farming is going to have to be step up to the plate to deliver you know the the consequence of our current system is causing harm we need to stop that we need to change um, we are so that, and we're also in England seeing the area-based payments move within the rest of the UK. That is similarly going to change, but maybe slightly different because of the the policy development in different parts of the UK. So the support farmers get and the rewards for outcomes is changing. We're going to have to deliver around climate, biodiversity, water, and, and those targets. But we're also seeing supply chain, the lending sector, and everyone else focusing around the impact their activity through their supply chain back to farmers has on carbon and biodiversity. So we're hearing from many major brands that they want to uh, source uh, 50% of their ingredients for their food from regenerative farms by 2030. Um, Many others are are, 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 similar statements and there's investment into what's that look like? How do we help move farmers to regenerate? So this is coming. Mm. Policy is always moving and governments you know this government or any future government may go faster or may want to row back but i see the supply chain and everyone else rapidly getting on with the business and leaving the government indecision sometimes uh, and and not clarity and focus behind and, and getting on and, and journey so I often hear from many farmers are saying, well, I don't want to do the nature stuff and I don't want to, I'm just a production, you know, this model of just production. And if that's what you're doing, fine, as long as you're not causing harm, as long as it stacks up for you. But do recognise your customers, your supply chain are changing and are going to ask for the evidence of your carbon footprint, your biodiversity impact, and are going to want you to do actions that help them in their supply chain. So you may not want to, but your customers are going to, encourage you to do it so the better the quicker you can start to understand what that challenge is you the 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 more time you have to change your business model rather than having sudden interruptions because of a legislation or law has changed or customer suddenly wants something different yeah no that makes sense um and um yeah it's definitely quite a period of of rapid change but if if we look at farming it it is really unique farmers are are such a unique position because we can deliver solutions for food production healthy food production but we can do carbon capture we can do flood mitigation a whole range of assets everybody else has can't do because we we're managing that that landscape and if we look at that multifunctionality of what we can deliver and rather than just one output of food or commodity or and look at what else can I do in my landscape and what else is needed in my landscape that I may get reward for. I think we can be, you know, we we have the asset that and can deliver the things everyone else wants. And we're in a very strong position to not call the shots, but you know, be seen to be do, delivering the rewards for the fair returns that we need to get to do that and you know, support our businesses. I think farming has, has got a really strong role to play if it focuses around multifunctionality of opportunities and revenue incomes rather than just focusing and, and making noise about it is all about food. Farming has never just been about one thing. It is getting rewards for all things we can produce. Do you think um, the current direction of government policy and targets is, is kind of supporting this direction? It is certainly making a change. It is certainly changing things. Is it going quick enough? Does it have the level of ambition built into it to actually get to where government needs us to get to and deliver the outcomes? And are they over-hoping uh, that private sector will bring enough public, well, bring enough funding in to deliver some of those outcomes? From my own personal perspective, uh, I think the ambition was better a while ago and there was clarity in where we want to go. 
the ambition, I'm not sure if there's enough ambition there to get to where we need to go in the speed we need to do it, that farmers can keep up, but also deliver on, on, on that climate solutions, biodiversity solutions. We need to see a clear vision from government and any future government in, in how this all joins together and where do they see the role of farmers and where this, it's not support, where does the revenue come from to make help us deliver the outcomes everyone wants? If, if only we had some security going into into the future and uh, especially with a general election around the corner. Yeah, we have talking to many of, I, I spend a lot of time talking to parliamentarians and House of Lords and politicians and bits, not just in Westminster, but the devolved governments. There's a lot from many, especially the conservation organisation, calling for doubling the budget or at least putting another billion pounds into the agriculture budget to help farmers deliver these outcomes. And that's the kind of ambitions we need. And we need government to, to we need to work with other stakeholders, conservation groups to, to get that momentum to say, whatever government comes, this, this is set in law that you need to deliver these outcomes. So whatever colour shape it's going to be, we need the right investment to deliver the right outcomes. And, and the budget is nowhere near big enough to deliver everything they've promised. So where and when is that going to get increased so farmers can really deliver on the solutions society needs? Yeah, definitely. Do you think with your exposure to kind of political, I guess, influencers, or, I mean, you, you head down to Whitehall quite often, um, do you think the, the focus on agriculture is becoming more with time? Um, obviously, Rich, Richie Sunak's um, speech over over New Year, Christmas time, didn't even mention agriculture. It's quite a common case where agriculture isn't, isn't mentioned in some of the, you know, kind of even the more generalist speeches of our government. Do you think it is becoming more of a focus? I think it's on their radar, but it it is very much when when it matters. Uh, the the government and this particularly now is very focused on having UK as a tech centre and innovation science and everything. Agriculture revenues, if you just look at farm level, is pretty small compared to the total you know, UK incomes. But actually, when you connect it with everything else in the food supply chain, we are a significant powerhouse mm. of the UK and the technology. So it's about reminding them. Uh, what we could do as an industry if we were have have unlocked the potential, but also the solutions we deliver around carbon and biodiversity. And nature-based solutions are the cheapest to deliver rather than investing in a load of tech that captures carbon or buries it under the sea or offsets. So let's get the uh, revenues and the resources in the right place. But it is challenging because government officers and uh, ministers are always changing. Um, particularly the last uh, year or two, um, yeah. and we need some stability in the system. So there's a, a real journey. But we have very good engagement. I have very good relations with uh, many of the uh, DEFRA staff and um, shadow DEFRA governments and that, and, and we can carry on feeding in our, you know, our ideas and support where we they're going in the right way and criticise and try and push it, uh, to move them in a positive direction. Well, I think we'll have to round it off there because um, we've talked and talked. Um, but thank you so much, Martin. That was brilliant. Um, and yeah, lots to think about. Um, and there's stuff, I think, you know, stuff to be optimistic about as well with what you were saying with um, like how supply chain is bringing the changes regardless of whether or not government um, keep up with that. Um, so certainly stuff to be optimistic about as well. But um, yeah, thank you for coming on. And thanks for the opportunity. And I'll say to any farmers, if if, if the challenge if the transition is challenging, talk to other people. Reach it. There's lots of farmers out there who who are already doing things or want to share information. This don't feel lonely in thinking this is a massive challenge and change. Do reach out and, and connect with people and, and find ways of supporting that transition. It was a great conversation with Martin just now. And I feel like we sort of really got into expanding the information in the report. And I certainly sort of took away a bit more of uh, what farming with maximum sustainable output looks like in practice. Uh, what did you think about it, Aaron? Yeah, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I uh, read the report this morning. 
And it's amazing to be able to read a report in the morning and then directly talk to one of the major contributors. Um, Martin's particularly uh, good to talk to because he is not only contributing to the report, but he's practicing what he preaches. He um, practices MSO on his own farm in Cambridgeshire. And, you know, some of the main things that I took away from the report this morning was the fact that how inclusive the report is to all different farming systems, whether that's um, upland or lowland, livestock farming uh, in the dairy sector or mixed or arable. Um, they've got really good case studies on all of those farming systems with a really good amount of data and a really nice um a really nice mixture of graphs and tables to kind of so that you can visually look at the data and, and how it works on on about I think it's 140 different farms that they carried out um investigations on. So um yeah and and that makes the report really easy to digest. One of the things that really struck me was the opportunities to when you start farming with uh, maximum sustainable output in mind and you're looking at ways to reduce your costs how that can actually free up time and headspace to to do other things um whether that's just more time off or finding ways to generate alternative incomes for the farm yeah definitely i think mso if there's if there's one incentive to get farmers to practice mso on their own farm it, it's the time incentive that that freeing up that time availability is a, a huge incentive. Uh, one of the things I know that Martin does with uh, his spare time is his, he engages with a huge amount of policy stakeholders. And, um, and I think that means that he's got a really good perspective on how policy, the direction of policy, uh, he may, mentioned that a little bit earlier, um, but that that really gives him a really a, a really good overview of UK farming, and so I think his 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 position on the future of UK farming is really valuable. Thank you for joining us for the Farm of the Future podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard about today, please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast as we'd love to hear your thoughts and it will help others to discover it too. We'll be back next month to explore another exciting topic which impacts the future of farming.